If you're looking for an international school that provides quality American education at an affordable price for your child, well, Excel American Academy could be just what you're looking for. This school follows the American curriculum that's aligned with Aero guidelines and US Common Core standards. It also has a unique Pioneer Town program, an experiential learning program that gives students hands-on and real-world experience. Excel American Academy is not just for US citizens, it's for everyone. Visit xaa.edu.sg to find out more. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last nine years. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who is 11, and Marcel, who is nine. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Chantelle Kismet, founder of Blooming Births and Mum of One. We want to ask everything from a doula, from fertility journeys and giving birth to postpartum support. Enjoy. Hello, Chantelle. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. First up, why don't you tell us a little about you? Yeah. So, hi, Ange. Um, thank you so much for having me on this episode of Growing Pains. So, I'm Chantelle. I'm a birth and postpartum doula, a fertility coach, a trauma-informed somatic therapist, a womb worker, and also a mom to a four-year-old. It's a lot of things. <laughs> and for those who are listening at home who perhaps haven't had a doula in their previous kind of births or are thinking about um, what they will do, they're pregnant now, what is a doula? What is your role? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know uh, what a doula is, we are a non-medical care provider who supports a family. And sometimes we support them from conception through to pregnancy into birth and postpartum. So think of us as a guide, you know, somebody who supports, educate, coach, advocate and nurtures a mom to be as well as her family, holding space, giving them that reassurance, helping them to draw out that that strength from within to journey into the unknown because, you know, having a child starting a family, there's so much uncertainty to it. Yes. Yeah. So helping families through that transition and most importantly being that sounding board too because the internet has so much information. It's it's almost an overload and then everyone else has an opinion and having a doula, you know, we... We, ha- we provide evidence-based information so that families can make the right decisions for their own family. Mm. Do you think having a doula is necessary? I would say yes. I wish every couple would engage a doula. However, it really depends on everyone's circumstances, you know, especially on the financial side. Having a doula on your journey definitely comes with many benefits and... There's this saying by Pam England, who's a, a midwife, and uh, she said, asking your partner to be your soul guide through labor is like asking them to lead the way on a climb to Mount Everest. 
They may be smart and trustworthy, you may love them, but in the Himalayas, you're both better off with a Sherpa. And, you know, your partner's going to be there, they're going to guide you, but having a Sherpa, they know the ins and outs of the mountain, they know the terrain, they know what to look out for. And that's basically what a doula does. Mm. So yes, uh, there's so much benefits to it. You know, there is a decrease in the number of belly births. So a cesarean, when you have a doula there with you, sometimes partners get tired too. And sometimes they may not know how to navigate the roadblocks. And you have someone there that goes, hey, all right, put your hands here or let's do this or hey, the doctor is saying this, here are the pros and cons and here are some alternatives that you can try. Mm. So it gives them that calming presence. It also give, gives them that sense of reassurance to mm. help them through. So yes. <laughs> and then what's the difference? So when I had my boys, I had midwives in the room, right? And the doctor kind of comes in at the end when all the activity, you know, when it's crunch time, the doctor appears. And there were times where I needed kind of a pep talk. And it wasn't my husband that gave me that pep (laughs) talk. It was a midwife who was like, you can do it. Like this is. So what's the difference, would you say, between, I know a midwife's a nurse, but in terms of what a doula provides that's different? So we're non-medically trained, right? We don't do anything medical. So like Mm, mm. vaginal exams, blood pressure, all of that, making sense of the charts and things like that. However, we provide that emotional and mental support. So... Think of us as like your cheerleader, you know, we're there to hold space and tell you that, hey, everything's going to be okay. The nurse and the midwives are not going to massage you, (laughs) you know, they're not going to whip out their oils and, you know, start doing acupressure points and things like that. So we do that. We want to nurture the mother. They are focused on the medical aspects. We are focused on nurturing the laboring mother and making her feel as taken care of, as respected and as safe as possible. What are your recommendations for couples that are starting on their fertility journey? I mean, I know that you said being a doula is also helping kind of from the outset of conception all the way through and and postpartum. Yeah. So yeah, what advice or recommendations would you have for, for those couples who are just thinking about what they're going to do and when they're having babies and and all of those things. So preparing for a conception journey is such a powerful way of giving your body and your baby a healthy head start. And it can definitely improve the chances of getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, a lot of people don't realise this, that you can impact your baby's health, their microbiome, as well as immunity. So in the work that I do, I work with couples in their conception journey too. And I like to look at three areas the mind, the body, as well as the energetic body. And when we talk about energetic body, we're talking about the energy channels, the energy centers, because it is shaped by the undercurrents of breath, of movement, of feeling, and it impacts the state of mind as well as the physical body. So when it comes to fertility, there's quite a few things that you can actually do. Um, Number one, I love to start with the inner landscape of yourself. So exploring, are there areas in your life that you're holding any anger or resentment or is there inner child wounding or unresolved emotions that you have with the maternal or paternal side of your family? 
not just yourself but your partner too. And then next is focusing on the relationship. So looking mm-hmm. at the communication between the couple. Are there things that could be improved? Are there areas that need to be addressed? Especially if emotions are bottled up, you know, that can affect the body, the physical body. And for couples who have been trying for a very long time um, or they experience a very tiresome IVF journey, there's a lot of resentment that can be built up. And stress. and Definitely, yeah. you know, and, and lovemaking no longer is lovemaking. It's like a process. So working on that and seeing a professional if you need to, mm. if you can't mitigate certain things between yourself, then having a third party coming in would be so helpful. And then number three is looking at a menstrual cycle understanding how long your cycle is, how are you bleeding, because that is a reflection of hormonal imbalances, stress levels in your life, which definitely, as we know, affects fertility. And then my favourite part, which is the blood work (laughs) and nutrition, because um, blood work, when you go through a series of tests, it tells you what are the deficiencies that perhaps you have or you know, what are things that you, is in balance, right? So it establishes a baseline of where you are. And from there, you're able to better work on your nutrition. So if you know, okay, great, I've got iron deficiency, like my my zinc levels are low, my magnesium levels are low, then you can start working on it, especially your adrenals, right? Like your hormones. Mm. How are your hormonal levels? Same thing for the for the men as well. Like you want both men and women to do it. And I find that, you know, in this society, a lot of the weight is on the women, yes, right? But it's actually not. It's both parties. So we want to look at blood work, look at nutrition, and then making any changes that we can because, as we know, nutrition improves, improves egg quality, sperm quality, and just overall environment of the womb health. And then we look at exercise, you know, tending to the physical body, looking at regular exercise to balance hormones, improve insulin levels, and of course, reduce stress. Mm. And number six, I feel, is looking at your lifestyle and your stress levels and adding mindfulness because stress is the number one biggest factor that affects fertility and pregnancy. So really connecting to yourself, your body somatically, understanding what it feels I mean, let's be honest, a lot of us, we're very much in our heads. Yes. Right? We're very disconnected from our bodies. Mm. So adding that mindfulness is so important. And lastly, connection with yourself and your partner. You know, spending that time nurturing the relationship too is very important. What advice has helped your clients that perhaps you could uh, share with us today that's helped those clients of yours that have struggled with their fertility journey? Yeah, for some of us, Falling pregnant doesn't come easy Mm. and, you know, I'm sure these couples are doing all that they can. I'm not here to dish out more of like, do this and get this done and, you know, do this TCM thing that's going to magically help you. But more of have compassion towards yourself. Have compassion towards your partner. You know, we are so quick to blame ourselves. Oh, it's my fault. There's something wrong with me. I can't fall pregnant. So really being honest and open with each other, talking about the hard stuff, you know, the the real feelings and not bottling up or not sweeping it under the rug because, uh, you know, we we just don't want to talk about it. 
find a support network of perhaps people that you feel safe with that you can talk about these feelings mm-hmm. without holding back and maybe connect with other couples who have had that experience as well. Because the power of having a community, it's, it's so strong and it's so healing. And it's easier said than done, but don't be so hard on yourself, really. You know, mental health is such a crucial point in any aspect of our lives. So making sure that we slow down, have compassion and rebuild ourselves first before we decide, hey, let's go try again. Mm. Yeah. And it does feel, it's so all-consuming when you're trying for a baby. And even if it only takes, you know, three or four months or it feels like so long at the time because every month there's that disappointment. And so, yeah, yeah, if you're one of those couples where it's taking a really long time and you need other interventions, it just can really suck all the kind of happiness and joy out of the relationship, right? While you're under this pressure for this one thing that you feel is going to define everything. And, you know, we all, if if it's something that you want, it's so important. It's, yeah, the the magnitude, it's very easy, isn't it, for um, once you've had children to go, oh, don't worry, don't stress. But at the time, like, you know, I certainly remember there were, it felt like so long. And when I looked back, it was actually, oh, it wasn't that long. (laughs) Uh, But at the time, it feels like every day is very long when you're, when you're in that trying mode. Um, Moving a little ahead, let's say that, you know, we are pregnant now in terms of my next question. We know that when we fall pregnant, our bodies change at a rapid and quite astonishing rate. I was shocked, I think, when I I was like two or three weeks pregnant and I already knew I was pregnant. I I just thought I thought I looked so different. Um, Your hormones are going crazy. Your moods are unpredictable. You know, you've suddenly become a very different person in terms of just self-regulation. And then at the same time, you're in a relationship and, you know, you want to have a sex life. What advice do you have for couples in terms of keeping your sex life going while you're pregnant? You're exactly right. When we get pregnant, it's everything's all over the place, right? Uh, Sex, well, I would say... Go with how your body feels. Mm. You know, if you if you feel like doing it, go for it. <laughs> if you feel like your partner's not around, do it yourself. <laughs> um, but I feel like women shouldn't be pressured. Yes. That you shouldn't feel like you need to have sex. At the end of the day, building that intimate connection with your partner, that's key. Right? So if you feel the urge, go for it. This, this, don't hold back. But again, if you don't feel the urge, don't force yourself. You know, li- always listen to your body. What is my body trying to tell me? And as you know, when we fall pregnant, we're tired. Sometimes we, you know, we just want to lie in bed all the time. But during those moments where you feel like, oh, wow, there's that burst of energy, then go for it. And, and partners, of course, like don't pressure you know, your your wives to do the deed because there's so much going They're on. They're growing a human being. Yeah. It's really hard. And you can't see, right? Like what goes <laughs> yeah. on behind the scenes. You can only see like, oh, yeah, the belly's getting bigger and, you know, okay, she's, she's getting a bit emotional. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much happening on a cellular level. Mm. So I know that our listeners given that you are a doula, are going to want to hear a lot about birth and advice around birth. So let's fast forward um, 
to birthing, talking about birthing. Birthing at hospitals, um, why would you say this is the, or maybe you disagree with this statement, but why is it the most convenient method and what are the realities of doing so, of having a baby in a hospital? So birthing at hospitals, it's all that we know and it's how it's been done for a very long time now. So it's become our version of norm. Mm. However, there are other alternatives besides birthing at the hospital. And in many parts of the world, we have birth centres, we have home births. It's not so much here in Singapore. Over here in Singapore, a very large majority of us birth at the hospital because that's our only choice. Mm. However, there are home births too as an option. So what are the other alternatives? I know, you know, I've heard of kind of water births and home birth. I assume, I always thought it was kind of home birth is a water birth, but Mm. maybe you could talk us through what are the alternatives that we can actually access in Singapore. So in terms of venue, we're talking about hospitals or homes. In terms of the experience, that's where we're talking about, okay, is it water birth, hypnobirthing? Do we birth on the bed? I think water births based on what I've seen, water immersion gives that additional layer of comfort Mm. when you're going through your surges and just having baby birth through water. So water to water, water from the amniotic bag out into water. It's a much more calming process for the baby, you know. But again, not everyone would like water births. You may feel like, oh yeah, I love to soak myself in a tub or I love a hot shower. And then when you're in labour, you get into the water, you're like, oh, wow, I hate this. this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So again, it really depends on on the person, you know. Sometimes water immersion is not for everyone, but it's just a good to have in your tool bag. And I guess it's one of those things, you never know until you're giving birth what you actually want. Yes. So being flexible, right? I know a lot of people have kind of plans in place and intention, but that changes so rapidly when you are actually giving birth because it's not what you want suddenly or it's it's not right for the moment or it's not safe or whatever, you know, whatever's going on. You're listening to the Honey Kids Podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. One of the main purposes of education is to equip our children for the future. And this is something that Excel World Academy strongly believes in. This IB school has everything your child needs to succeed, from a world-class curriculum, highly experienced teachers, to a future-oriented approach to education. All these, coupled with a diverse and tight-knit school community, equips your child with the skills and exposure essential for the jobs of tomorrow. So check out Excel World Academy, the school of the future, at xwa.edu.sg today. I've heard of silent birth, and I understand that that's, you know, um, I think it was quite famous like a couple of decades ago mm. because there was that story of Tom Cruise yes. and Katie Holmes, that <laughs> like she had to have a silent birth because that was... Um, something that was important to Tom Cruise. Um, Is this a real phenomenon? Was it kind of one of those things that was, you know, a celebrity, very famous celebrity brought up and then it became a thing? Or perhaps what are your thoughts on silent birth? Have you ever had to assist someone in a silent birth? Yeah, I think that was a unique situation between Mm. Tom Cruise and Kate. (laughs) I guess the idea behind a silent birth is 
just creating an environment of calm mm. for the birthing person. And, you know, your little one can start hearing already when they're in the womb at about 18 weeks. And by the time they're full term, they can already hear quite well. So we want to keep the environment calm. And when there are, you know, no close to no noise or some music or sight like light whispering, the mom is able to further focus inwards, right? And she's able to increase all that wonderful hormonal cocktail that we want, you know, the oxytocin, the endorphins, everything to help her labor. So that's more of the reason why we don't want any unnecessary noise. Uh, However, there are some women who prefer silence and it ties up to focus, Mm. right? So I had a client who was, she didn't want a playlist. She didn't want her husband to say anything. All she wanted was her husband by her side. And after the baby was born, when I saw her during postpartum, we talked about the birth. And and I was very curious. I asked, why did you not uh, like, to have any music. I was just very curious to understand. And she said, I find music very distracting and I work better when it's silent and it's just me and my thoughts. And I was like, oh, that's that's actually really nice. So I think silent birth is, that was like a one-off thing. Yeah. You know, the way they put it, like no one talks and it's completely quiet. Well, it felt very much that it wasn't from the perspective of what the mum wanted. It was more that the expectation is that this is how you will act. So it was yeah. like, almost like, you're told to be silent, like you need to be silent, you have to be silent, rather than do you wish for everyone to, you know, is that something that you want? It was more that it was forced on that individual, so it was quite interesting. But think about it, birth is very primal, right? Yes. It's it's a very innate thing and sounds are welcomed. Women make sounds and that's what we want as well. Mm. Sound, you know, we talk about sound breathing, right? So when we labour, we make sounds. Why? It vibrates the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve helps us to also further relax. So we want to make sounds. Mm. We want to make low tones, you know. We don't want to go, ah, we want to make ooh kind of sounds. I'd really fail um, at that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a high-pitched voice. <laughs> well, interesting. And then you mentioned that, the and this kind of flows quite nicely after kind of talking about, you know, a lot of what's driven seems to be driven by the intention of the mother. And I know that you've said that, you know, the birth of a mother is equally as important as the birth of a baby. Maybe elaborate on this for us. Yeah. So a lot of the times when a baby is born, the emphasis immediately shifts towards the baby. Right? Yes. And <laughs> I remember when I was pregnant, uh, people would give up seats for me, mm. you know, and I've with a big belly, people are like, oh, come sit down. And then once the baby was born, it's almost as if like nobody really acknowledged the fact that I was a mum. So true. The attention mm-hmm. was focused on like, has the, the baby, is the baby sleeping? Like, oh no, the baby's crying. Have you fed the baby? Okay, baby needs help to sleep. Let's cuddle the baby. But a mother needs to be cuddled as well. You know, she's gone through this massive transition right, where during the pregnancy process, she's opened up herself and and her body. She's grown this miracle. And after which, she opens herself up again to birth this baby into the world. And as you know, birth is, it's not easy at all. So much, so much involved. 
And then once the baby's born, it's almost like the attention shifts. But she's gone through such massive transformation and overnight she becomes a mother. She deserves to be nurtured as well. When you hold the baby, you want to hold the mother too. Mm. If you're attending to the baby, snuggling with the baby, mom needs to be attended to and snuggled too. You know, so when a baby is born, that's when a mother's automatically born the same time as well. Just as like a father, you know, once the baby comes out, it's like, boom, you're a mom. Boom, mm. you're a dad. And you see a difference, you know, when a mom is taken care of, not just the baby. You see a significant improvement in her well-being. And that translates to the bonding between her and the child, the bonding between her and the family, the experience is much more positive. And let's face it, you know, once the baby's born, there's so much going on too, right? You're figuring stuff out. You're not sure why am I feeling this way? Your nipples are cracked from breastfeeding. You're sleep deprived. You're sleep deprived. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you don't oh make good gosh. decisions when you're sleep deprived. No. So again, there's, there's so much that she's trying to figure out, right? She's like, how do I hold this baby and latch this baby? Okay, I'm bleeding so much. My below hurts. If you've had a belly birth, my, my abdominal area hurts. Like I can't really move. So physically and mentally, there's so much going on. And that's why I like to say, if you hold the baby, hold the mother, you know? Don't stop giving the mother attention because she's just been through a massive rite of passage and she deserves that care as well. Yeah, I love that. There's such an expectation, isn't there, that you're completely surrounded by love and support and gentleness when you're pregnant. Yeah. Like I've never, you know, been more spoiled than when yeah. I was pregnant. And ever, as you say, people give you their seat, they bring you treats, like yeah. you have, you know, baby showers, all these things, and they're all focused on the mum. And then as soon as the baby comes, totally right, everyone just wants to hold the baby. They want to, like, the baby's beautiful, the baby's amazing, the baby's yeah. so cute. Like, And then you're really hurting. And particularly with the sleep, all of those things bound up together and also the, you know, the helplessness we feel when we do become a mum for the first time and don't know what yeah. to do when certain situations come up or your baby's more difficult than someone else's or things aren't happening the way the books say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so important, you're right, because, yeah, the more that there is that support and nourishment of the mother after birth, completely right, the more the baby and the mum are going to thrive and the family's going to thrive, Yes, right? exactly. And, and, in a lot of the cultures, uh, especially in Asia, when the baby reaches one month, that's where they do like a one-month ceremony yes. and things like that. Yeah. But then they don't do anything for the mother. Mm. And I've had so many clients tell me like when they were doing the ceremony, they felt this emptiness. Like everyone was like, oh, baby's one month, so cute. Like what about the mom? You know, she's just been through so much and she's trying to find herself and her identity and making sense of things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And definitely, yeah, I mean, there's no celebration that we kept the baby alive for 30 days. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there should be. You also talked about womb healing in your intro, like one of the things you do. So what what is womb healing? I know it's part of kind of postpartum. Um, Is it important step of postpartum or is it kind of one of those things that's a little alternative and 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 you know something that women don't really need to pay much attention mm. to after giving birth so womb healing is you, you can do it in any stage of your life as a woman you know you can do it before pregnancy you can oh, do it okay. after mm. and what womb healing is it's all about connecting back to yourself and and honoring that womb space and in the grand scheme of things it's about self-love 
your womb does so much for you every month, you know. We go through cycles and when we decide to have a baby, it nurtures the baby, it, it keeps the baby safe, it grows, grows the baby, you know. So it's a way of self-healing, it's a way of acknowledging and saying thank you. Uh, I like to think of it as nurturing the womb in a way where we're exercising self-acceptance and self-love during the postpartum period. And do you talk your clients through a womb healing kind of, is it like a session or is it more kind of an internalised? Yeah, so I combine a couple of things together. So we, yeah. we do like a little ceremony. Yeah. If we're talking about for women who have given birth, we are talking about doing a ceremony where we do a little massage, just kind of honouring the body then we do a bit of meditation. Uh, sometimes we do a bit of joint articulation with the Mexican rebozo, so it's like a shawl. Mm. And allowing them to release any kind of emotions that they may have held on to, you know, during the pregnancy, or especially during the birth, right? So much happens during the birth. So it's also giving them that space to release those emotions and letting them feel held like hey you know your your body has done this massive massive thing giving birth to a baby it's it's incredible it's time to say thank you acknowledge it and let's give it a closure because if you think about it in in pregnancy we open up the body the body grows right as the baby grows and then when we birth the baby we open up as well the birth canal, the pelvis, and then the baby comes out. So the body's always open. So the ceremony, in a way, also kind of what we're trying to do is we're bringing closure to the body and just going, hey, you've done what you need to. Thank you so much. And now... Take a break. Yeah, take a break. And now <laughs> yeah. this is a new you. And, and let's practice that self-acceptance and self-love. Mm. I'd also like to talk about confinement practices, do you think it's necessary in this day and age or can mothers <laughs> forego the practice altogether? So I don't like to call it confinement because mm. it makes you feel like oh, I'm stuck indoors for 40 days or 30 days. Yeah, being confined doesn't sound yeah. like a positive word, does yeah. it? Yeah. So I, I like to use the word postpartum nurturing. Oh, I love that. So we are actually <laughs> nurturing ourselves during this period. And that's what confinement is all about, right? It's about tending to the mother, allowing the mother to make sense of what life is right now with this baby in the world. And also recovery. So much has happened and we want to make sure that the mother's recovered both physically, emotionally and mentally. Honestly, I think... A lot of the confinement practices that were put in place many, many, many years ago made sense then, right? Like one of the most common one was no bathing or like no yes. washing your hair, which, come on, we live in Singapore. It's humid all the time. Like just going outdoors for five minutes, I'm already like perspiring, you know? And it's not hygienic if we <laughs> we are just sweaty and um, sticky. So... Things like, you know, not showering during the confinement period, probably in the past, if we talk about like ancient China, water source was far away. People had to literally hike out to take water, right? So then it makes sense not to shower every day. Yeah. 
but you want to still keep your body warm. In uh, traditional Chinese practices, they believe that when it's cold, it will enter the body and then, you know, the woman will experience body aches and things like that. So I feel like confinement practices has evolved over the years. I think a lot of women are taking charge of their confinement practices as well and saying no to certain practices that their elders have kind of enforced. Mm -hmm. And confinement practices has its benefits too in terms of the kind of food that you eat. You know, like we we focus on specific nutrition that we want to get into the woman's body. Things like resting, you know, yeah. not, not standing around and trying to do work. Just really taking the time to be on the bed, around the bed, near the bed, so that you're resting. But I feel like there are certain practices that women can go ahead to include into their postpartum nurturing. At the end of the day, it's like it's, if it feels right for you, yeah. right? Like the whole not showering, no fan or air condition. Uh, there's also things like you can't eat chicken and soy sauce for like the first couple of weeks because it creates inflammation and things like that. But I feel like take everything with a pinch of, of salt. Mm. Do what feels right for you and your family. And at the end of the day, what is the point of postpartum nurturing? It is to make sure that we help these mothers recover so that they are in optimal health for everything they've, they've been through during the birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had to support, um, you know, clients through pregnancy loss? Yeah. Any advice in terms of coping or what should be done, what we can do as friends? I think pregnancy loss is such a, it's really such a hard one. Um, mm. I've supported pregnancies where they had a loss in the early stage. I've also supported pregnancies where they lost the baby much later and they had to go through the entire process of birthing their baby. Um, And then, you know, when they're out, we help them with getting the logistics done and things like that. It's it's never easy. Mm. I think when it comes to pregnancy loss, there's so much unpreparedness to face. And for the couple itself, that reality of what was going to be is now lost. You know, mm-hmm. there's that sense of denial and anger. And sometimes the, their world no longer makes sense anymore, right? And it can be very traumatic for them. It can also be very hard to explain to the people around them. And also, one of the reasons I feel couples should be encouraged to announce their pregnancies because there's so many women who don't. And and then when they go through a loss in the early stage, they have no one to turn to. They have, you know, it's it's no one new. So it's still private. Yes. Yeah. 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 And with supporting families who've been through pregnancy loss or infant loss, any kind of loss, honestly, it's really being there for them. You know, everyone grieves very differently. There is this, there's also this mentality that, oh, uh, yeah, it's it's fine, you know, uh, move on. Uh, you can always try again, especially from our elders, right? Um, mm. 
And then if you have a if you have a second child, it's things like oh, you know, uh, at least you had one. You know, uh, it's okay. You you can always try again. So, when we talk about supporting couples who have experienced pregnancy loss, it's really just being able to hold space for them. You know, letting them know that hey, I'm so sorry to hear about what you're experiencing, and I may not have the right words to offer, but I want you to know that I'm here. And allowing them the space to actually talk about their unborn child. You know, people do find it awkward as well, right? Like, oh, what do we say? Like, can we even bring it up? Like, if are they going to be upset? What people don't understand is, for those of us who have experienced loss, we, we want you to talk about it. Because by not talking about it, it makes us feel like, what, what, what happened? Like, was Doesn't I really give pregnant? Us space. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, we had a loss as well. And there were times where I felt like, oh my gosh, was I really pregnant? Yeah. Did, did it, like, was it all in my head? Like, you know, and, and just having people acknowledge it is so healing already in itself. Rock up with uh, food, right? Because depending on which stage they're at, when the loss happened, they still need to nurture their bodies, right? So come, give them food, you know, help them with nutrition. It could be just sitting with them and not even talking, just hearing them cry and just letting letting them know that you're there. You know, it doesn't have to be anything too extravagant. Mm. Um, Definitely don't say things like, you can try again or, or thank goodness it was at seven weeks or, you know, thank goodness it was early. Be empathetic saying things like, I can't imagine how hard this is. I'm here for you, you know? And find different ways to honour the process. So for the couples themselves, it's writing a letter or putting the ultrasounds around, only if that feels right for them. It's such a personal thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, but not just shelving it away and making it seem like it never happened. I think that's the hardest part. Mm. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit just to lighten yes, the mood. Yes, please. Because <laughs> that's quite a heavy topic to talk about. Um, why don't we go back to sex? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, so I wanted to ask you when can couples have sex after birth? I know that I was told six weeks and like, you know, logistically, yes, but I, that, that was definitely not something that I was really excited about six yeah. weeks after having particularly my first baby. So when when can couples have sex after birth? So like you said, uh, about six to eight weeks after the birth of your baby yeah. and potentially longer if you've had a belly birth. So belly birth being a cesarean. I feel <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to sex, really, it depends on how the woman feels. Yes. You know, and... I honestly don't think you should rush back into it. If you feel like, yes, oh God, I'm, I, I have the urge and I want to do it, then go for it. But don't rush into it because giving birth already is such a massive transformation for a woman, mentally, emotionally, physically. And then there are the challenges of postpartum, right? Figuring stuff out. And breastfeeding, you know, there's the change in hormones. It can also impact your libido you've already got, you know, a little tiny human attached to you all the time, suckling on your breast. It's kind of hard, you know, wanting to be intimate with your partner, right? 
And intimacy after childbirth can look very, very different for everyone. It doesn't just have to be about sex. It could be connecting with your partners um, on different levels. It could be honest and open communication. It could be cuddles. It could also be just making time to connect on the bed, lying down together, snuggling just for once without having the baby baby in between you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know? So, sometimes our desire to be intimate may be very different from our partners too. Right? Our partners... Well, their body hasn't gone through this (laughs) massive awakening. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And and they might be the ones who who want to start being intimate again and, and, and start having sex. So, being very, very open about how you feel is so important because the last thing you want is to, sure, sure, let's have sex and then do it, but you don't really want to, right? And then that creates like resentment or it could, it could build up other emotions in the pipeline. So when it comes to sex, I feel always make sure like you're mentally and physically ready for it. Then it becomes more enjoyable. But you need to have a very, very open conversation with your partners. And then after that, you know, find ways to spice it up again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, toys, role-playing, whatever, to bring back that spark. Yeah. Once yeah. you're over the exhaustion of yes. having a baby. Yes. Which <laughs> seems to be forever. <laughs> Chantel, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for joining (laughs) us. I've learned so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. See ya. Thank you, Chantel, for our chat today. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suf, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suf. Hi. Uh, So what have you learned from today's episode? Wow. And I'm just speechless. Where do I start? I would say... Giving birth per se Because it's such an experience I mean, I'm not going to go through giving birth, right? Every woman goes through it But their birthing experience Just differs from one another, right? Yes, Mm. very much so Well, since we're talking about birthing and stuff Ange, would you like to share with our listeners Your birth story with Xavier and Marcel? (laughs) So firstly, I'll, I'll preface this with a I had very... You know, I was very lucky. Mm. So both of my births were not kind of, uh, what's the word for it? Like, there was no worry in terms of my safety. I didn't have any of these preeclampsias or, you know, I didn't have either of my children early. So they were both born very healthy. Xavier was in the middle of the night. I couldn't get to sleep and I just knew and leapt out of bed and my waters broke. (laughs) (laughs) The main thing I remember from Xavier's birth was that I insisted on going and washing and blow-drying and straightening my hair before we went to the hospital. Priorities. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I have to have my hair washed. I don't know why, but it was just the thing I fixated on. And then I had a wonderful epidural and had a very, like 12 hours later, I had little Zave and everything was actually... Everything was actually quite magical with him. Mm. I was really terrified of pain. I've always been quite terrified of pain just in general. Mm. And because I'd had an epidural, I didn't have the pain. So I got to focus on just the experience of having this first baby, right? right. And I'll never forget what it was like when I held him in, in my arms. With Marcel, I was induced at uh, 38 weeks. I did have an epidural, but unfortunately... Um, 
So they put the port in and everything seemed to be fine. And then about an hour later, I was experiencing like inte- like terrible pains. Oh, no. Like, and um, I sat forward. I had a nurse who was a, kind of a fill-in nurse for the day. Like she'd been called in from an agency because it was very busy. Mm. And she just was quite nervous and obviously very busy looking after other people that were probably much more higher needs than me. Right. And... Anyway, long story short, what had happened is the port that they put the epidural into your spine in had come out and all the drugs had gone under my skin instead of into your spine. Right. So so Mark almost freaked out because my whole back was just bubbled apparently with these drugs because I kept pressing the button and no pain relief was happening. And then the nurse came in and said, another midwife came in and said, oh, no, it's too late, you have to have a baby. Because I was like, what are you going to give me? Can I have gas? Can I have something? This is terrible. And then 15 minutes later, Marcel was there. So I was actually in a bit of shock because I hadn't expected it. It was only an hour and a half from the beginning of the, um, they give you, like, drugs through a drip Mm -hmm. to start labour. And then suddenly I had this baby and it was interesting. The only thing that I really struggled with was because I was in so much pain, Mm. I actually, I couldn't hold myself straight away. Like I gave him to Mark and I just, because I, I was just really in pain. Um, so I did find, you know, with Xavier, I, because I had no pain, I could just focus on the whole experience of being a mum for the first time. And with myself, because I had all this pain, I, I really couldn't focus on him. I could only focus on myself. But the upside with myself was because I hadn't had an epidural that had kind of gone through my recovery was so much better so within an hour I was walking around I felt really good um but yeah it was quite interesting I mean as someone who is terrified of pain it was satisfying to know that I could do it without pain relief you know like because I've been so terrified of it um at the same time like both my both my kids were like three and a half kilos they were very healthy so I was very I felt very blessed and privileged that I didn't have really any complications that I had to worry about. Yeah, those are two different birth stories mm-hmm. that with and without pain. But Ange, if you do ever decide to get pregnant again, will you have <laughs> a doula or try any of the alternative birthing methods that were discussed earlier? I mean, it's interesting. I don't think, well, I'm pretty sure I'll never have any more children. Mm-hmm. I'm a little on the older side now and I'm really happy with my two children. I do... I, I mean, talking to Chantel, I can see how much easier certain things would have been in my birthing experience if I had someone there who was just focused on me. Because when you're in a hospital and you have midwives, you know, they, they're very busy. They have to look after four, five, six. I don't actually know how many other women at the same time. And you have one person that's kind of with you, but you don't know them. So you don't have that bond. Uh, and I also think like a lot of friends who have had water births or had a bath, it seems like a much more calming experience than, you know, the hospital bed. So, yeah, maybe. I think if I had my time again, I, I think I would have at, at the very least kind of looked at what the options were. But at the same time, you know, I've got two beautiful boys and it worked out okay. So if I was, you know, I didn't break after having both of them. <laughs> now, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Yes. I hope you all enjoyed my, you know, pretty vanilla birthing story, let's be <laughs> honest. Um, thank you for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs>